I want to invite you, if you have God's word, we're going to the book of Genesis today. And uh, we're not going to get to it right away, um, but I just invite you to get your, your finger there. We're going to Genesis chapter 13, and we're going to... We're going to begin there, and of course we're talking about the bankrupt life, or really the spiritually bankrupt life, and, and seven conditions to look out for. And so we've kind of been going you know, through these different conditions that, that, that I want us to be alerted to or to be aware of. And, and today we're going to look at another, but to kind of you know, prep us, so to speak, emotionally, mentally, I, I want to mention um, Gordon McDonald. He's an author of a book that is titled Restoring Your Spiritual Passion. Restoring Your Spiritual Passion. And there is a piece and there is a, there's a part of the book that he, he puts in there what was in print several decades ago in regards to a cigarette ad. And as we read this ad together, I'm going to throw it on the screen in just a moment. But as we read this ad together, you're going to just kind of shake your head because it sounds so silly. Uh, but it's kind of a reference of of how persuasive, you know, the world can be and how there are these persuasions, you know, that we are surrounded with, that we get hit with. I mean, at every turn, in fact, I'm going to give you some statistics and you'll see what I'm talking about, because there is another condition that, that we really need to be aware of. And I especially believe that as a movement, as a movement of the Church of the Nazarene and as individual believers because, you know, the world does impact us. Do you agree with that? The world, you know, there is this temptation for the world to have an effect on us. And we need to be aware. And so I, I want you to look at this. This is before, you know, science and knowledge and all that stuff. But this was a real ad. So let's go ahead and throw up on the screen there for them this morning. Here's a, a cigarette ad. According to a recent nationwide survey, listen to that, you know, the credibility there, okay? According to a recent nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Three leading independent research organizations asked this question of 113,597 doctors. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? The brand name most was Camel. Now, you probably enjoy rich, full flavor and cool mildness in a cigarette just as much as doctors do. And that's why if you're not a camel smoker now, try camel on your T-zone. That's T for taste and T for throat. You're proving ground for any cigarette. See, if camel's rich flavor of superbly blended choice tobaccos isn't extra delightful to your taste. See, if camel's cool mildness isn't in harmony with your throat. See, if you don't say... Camel suits my T-zone to the T. <laughs> I mean, that is absolutely crazy. I mean, without the science and the knowledge that we have, and of course, following this is, of course, millions of cases of cancer. And, and, and yet, in a, in a serious sense, imagine how persuasive that many years ago, imagine how persuasive that commercial must have been. I mean, the, the, the idea, I mean, after all, it was a nationwide independent survey. I mean, after all, I mean, it was okay with the doctors. I mean, this is what the doctors say. And so, you know, you can imagine there is this impact that this ad had on people back then. So what I did is I, I began to Google and I, I Googled the question, how many ads do we see each day? Interesting question. How many ads do we see each day? Well, if the marketing firm Yankelovich Incorporated are right, and this is where you're going to fill in that blank there, the average modern person is exposed to around, get this, 5,000 ads per day. Now, wait a minute. That's from 2007. 
So I thought to myself, well, how many is it today in this day and age here in 2019? So I came across another article by Red Crow Marketing, and they write an article, and of course it has to do with how much screen time that you have. I mean, you know, your job that you have, how much exposure that you have in the world, and how much you get out and about and all that. And, and here's what they say. Digital marketing experts estimate that most Americans are exposed to around, get this, 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements each day. Can you imagine how we are bombarded and how we're influenced? And, and I continue to read and do some research on this. And, and experts say that, that we have developed here in the Western world this, this what they call an embodied resistance. An embodied resistance where there's this inner kind of secretary we have in our mind, you know, not officially, but there's this inner thing that we have subconsciously that is constantly filtering the, the, the advertisements and all the data and all the information. And so this filtering is happening and we're making decisions thousands of times a day in regards to what it is that is persuading us and impacting our thinking And yes, even impacting our value system. It's interesting, that's where we ended up with our children's sermon in the sack. Because there are all these things that are impacting our life. In fact, this is the reason why experts say that 40% of ads today uh, involve a positive emotion like happiness. This is why you see the ads where people are jumping and laughing and they're smiling and almost floating as they're walking around. Because they're, they're using that to try to get through, you know, this... This embodied resistance. And, and so uh, they've also learned that um, uh, repetitiveness is, is effective. In other words, <clears throat> the more money that they spend and the more times that we see the ad, the more likely that we're going to succumb to the persuasion, you know, that is, that is hitting our subconscious. And, and so we're having to make all these decisions every day. And so, so quite literally, I guess what I'm saying this morning, quite literally, we are facing a tsunami of, 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 of persuasions in this world in which we live. And I literally mean the image of a tsunami. I, I once watched a video clip of a tsunami hit a community or a village. I think it was in Korea. And, and it was interesting how the water began to come in. It looked like a puddle that was kind of moving fast. And all of a sudden, there was this surge and this great movement. And pretty soon, cars and trucks were being tossed around like toys. And buildings looked like they were constructed out of paper. And, and ships were being pushed into the shore. And I mean, it was a tremendous force. And I, I'm looking at all the data and all the influence that, that, that we are subject to and how it has to be affecting us. One person describes these persuasions as, and get this, here's another great you know, imagery here. They describe these persuasions as the sandblaster of our soul. The sandblaster of our soul. And we've seen you know, what a water blaster is like or you know, water pressure is like, and I know they use water to even cut metal. And sand, a sandblaster is much stronger than that. And, 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 and so you can imagine, this brings us to the third condition that can steal our spiritual passion. And that condition is the distorted condition, if you're filling in the blank there. It is the distorted condition because there are, there are things that impact us, persuasions that, that are maybe affecting our, our moral drift or our, our, our values and, 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 and touching and influencing our life. And, and, and it may be affecting our inner moral defenses, the drifting of our moral balance in life, and, and, and all these persuasive messages and temptations that are sandblasting our convictions and values. And this is where our spiritual focus and passion is all twisted up and even lost. And this is because of the different messages that are coming in that keeps our spirit locked up. 
And that's why it takes sometimes the refining fire and sometimes some pressure to be reminded that it is important that we have spiritual disciplines in our life to remember what it is that God has called us to. I, I, I was reading an article about the refinement of silver and how, how silver is a really difficult one to refine. And in fact, it requires a much higher temperature than other elements. And of course, you know, silver is mixed in and locked in with all kinds of elements when it's in the earth. And of course, they mine it out and then they have to put it through the fire as it's refined. And it takes 2,200 degrees. Can you imagine 2,200 degrees to refine fire, to bring it to its pure state as they, they you know, they draw off the sludge, they draw off the extra elements that do not belong and they make this pure silver and then they can make, you know, uh, dinnerware and then they can make silver coins and, and, and silver is used in some machinery and some different vocations and, and, and all that because it's, it's been purified and maybe it's possible that we need to be reminded of the spiritual disciplines in life or the spiritual disciplines in our spiritual walk so that we might live a life that glorifies our Father in heaven. Now, the scriptural example, the scriptural example has to be the Old Testament character of Lot. And I want to invite us to, again, go to Genesis chapter 13. And, and here's a guy that's always living off his uncle. I mean, a guy that had very little inner balance. He, he was a guy that, that struggled with decision making. Have you ever known anybody that struggles with decision making? And it seems like they just can't make a good decision and they just make one bad decision after another. And I think kind of that defines Lot just a little bit here. Because remember, Abraham and, and Lot had a season of fruitfulness with growing herds and flocks. And in fact, they, they, they were, it was so great. Their wealth became so great that they decided they had to part ways. In fact, grumbling had started amongst the workers. And then, of course, Abraham and Lot were concerned about, you know, their own relationship. And so, you know, maybe they had lost the ability to, to work well together or to be happy together. And so what happens in this story is what they decide is they decide to go different ways. Now, Abraham did not make this thing a negotiation, rather giving Lot the best of everything and then in addition giving him the first choice uh, and the best pick of the direction to go as they were parting and going separate ways. And, and, and that was the rub. I mean, there's the rub because notice that, that Lot's willingness is, is too great in regards to doing for himself. I mean, you, you can imagine, I mean, here's this nephew. He was blessed by his uncle Abraham, and it would have been very normal for him to show respect to his uncle and say, no, uncle, you choose the best way. No, uncle, you take the best cattle and the best flock. And you, you, you know, you can imagine Lot showing just a little bit of respect. But Lot does not do that. In fact, Lot functions out of a distorted perspective. That's what I proposed this morning. That Lot functions out of a distorted perspective. Let's listen as we look at Genesis, uh, again, Genesis chapter 13, beginning there at verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been early and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for the possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Crilling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. 
The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quilling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I, I thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we always, we always find when we read your, your scripture. And I pray that, Lord, that you would just speak to that one heart this morning that maybe is seeking direction or needing, Lord, just something, Father, today, and they maybe don't even know what it is that they're looking for. So, Father, I just pray that your word would just minister at this moment. I pray that you'd bless that one, that man or that woman this morning that is just seeking your will. I pray that you would just anoint the word. We thank you for the reading of it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. So, let's notice here, go back to the text for just a moment, and notice here that Lot uses his eyes and, of course, his want for more, and and then what happens is self-interest jumps on this opportunity. I mean, we think about the life of Lot, and Lot, it was not wisdom that was at play here. I mean, it was his eyes. It says here that he, he looks up, and as he looks up, it's, it's what he sees that he wants. And it's not what his wisdom says, it's not what his common sense says, but it's what his eyes tell him. So spirituality seemed to be as distant as the moon. And just as we can see the moon, we can't touch the moon. And just as he was around wisdom, and he watched Abraham, he watched how to live a, a godly life, but he didn't get it. He was living a life that was, was driven by his desires rather than driven by the, the Spirit of the Lord. Because he He looks with his eyes. Notice that he looks with his eyes and saw the beauty of Sodom because he did not look with his spirit. Because if he would have looked with his inner spirit, he would have seen more than just the beauty on the surface. He would have been able to see the moral rot and the filth that was in the, there in Sodom. And he would have known that this is probably not a good place to raise my family. The green valleys and what he could see on the surface of Sodom and Gomorrah would ultimately cost Lot his family, his dignity, and any sense of integrity whatsoever because he was following what it was that he wanted rather than the wisdom of the Spirit of the Lord. So he had a distorted view of things. I mean, that's the point about Lot. He had a distorted view. And and the fact is, the distorted condition happens right now. How many believe that right now? I mean, with all the persuasions and the influence of this world around us, there's this this danger of having a distorted view. And and I want to kind of outline this for you this morning. And here is the first one. There's just a few ideas here. Here is the first one. The distorted condition happens when we are enslaved to sin. The distorted condition happens when we're enslaved to sin. I, I mean, I don't know why it is, Brian, but, but oftentimes our, our mind is muddled. I mean, there is a fog in the mind. There is something that is not right when we are involved in something that we know that we shouldn't be involved in. 
when we're allowing things to have control of our life and there, are, there is something that is Lord of our life and it is not the Spirit of the Lord, but there is something that is the Lord of our life that does not allow us to really respond in the process of good decision making. And so we recognize that good decision making is an all time low when all we can think about is ourselves. I mean, this was the problem that Lot was facing. I guess what I'm saying is, <clears throat> how can we have spiritual passion when we're more passionate about what it is that we want than we are passionate is by what, about what God wants for us? How can we have spiritual balance in life? I mean, how can we really have, you know, a good direction in life if we're more concerned about the things that, that make us feel good and the pleasures that we want rather than what it is that God wants for us? Amen. And so it's important that we, we apply the spiritual disciplines and we listen to the voice of God because the distorted condition happens when we are enslaved to something other than, than of course, you know, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the first one. The second one is the distorted condition happens even within the Christian community. It's interesting that we just had elections this morning because Christian leaders can dangerously walk in the spirit of negativity. Did you know that? I mean, there is this temptation sometimes, even in the Christian community, of walking in, in negativity and allowing that to drive us you know, the critical spirit. I talked about, you know, the, the empty heart last Sunday or really the dried out heart and how oftentimes a symptom of the dried out heart is, is a spirit of negativity. And there's this danger that we walk in the spirit of negativity. And that can happen even in the Christian community. And, and that, that happens when you try to apply worldly standards to what is spiritual. Because worldly standards are not spiritual standards and spiritual standards are not worldly standards. And so we recognize that, that, that we need to make sure that we are following, you know, godly standards, spiritual standards, and not the standards of this world. When we discount God's interpretation of what success is, what happens in is then we begin to redefine success. And we say this is what success is versus what God says to success is. And when we start focusing on our success, we miss out on the blessings of God in our life. Amen. And so we, we want to define success. My wife, you know, I'm having fun here this morning, but my wife, she, she was kind of defining, you know, for me what success is in regards to our diet and, uh, you know, our shape and our, our, you know, how we're going to process that. And she says, okay, here's our diet. And she's talking about the kind of diet that we're going on and, and what our goals were. And I said, honey, I says, I don't know what your goal is, but my goal is I want to be in shape and I'm in shape. I'm a shape, some kind of shape. And, and, and my goal is to eat as much good food as I can until I'm about 80 years old. Honey, I'm hitting the target. <laughs> but she, she has a different plan in mind, and I'm going to submit. So I probably need to lose some weight, but I, I get it. But I, you see, we, we want to redefine or define what success is rather than hearing what the Lord is, is telling us or maybe what the Bible is teaching us. And then seriously, one danger we may face as believers is over sensation. Now bear with me with this. It is over sensation because it seems like everything has to be entertaining or interesting or it's one adrenaline rush or another and maybe it's not jumping out of a plane, skydiving, maybe it's collecting stamps. I don't know what it is. But there is something about our society. I mean, we live in a blessed society. We are blessed here in America. Amen? 
And in that blessing, we oftentimes, we, we feel that we have to be interested or entertained or we have to, you know, have our attention, you know, you know, being taken care of. And you're saying, Pastor, do you mean we can't live and have fun and enjoy life? I'm not saying that. I'm saying this, that life does not have to be a peak to peak experience. Because I think we, we succumb to this over-sensation where we are always wanting to be gratified or we always want to be pleased or we're always wanting to be entertained rather than learning the disciplines of life, the spiritual disciplines in life that, that help us hear the voice of God and to keep our focus on what our focus needs to be on. Rather than being, you know, a victim of all the persuasions and all the data and all the things that bombard our soul. Now, I don't know if I should say this. <laughs> I heard a guy on, on TV, he, he was talking about the cell phone. Dare I say this? But he said, um, I think this here is going to be the new cancer. He says, I think in the future, the cell phone, we're going to learn some things about it that's not good. I mean, I don't know how to process that. I mean, we've got to talk on the phone. And, you know, I love Googling and I love all the, you know, information that I get off the Internet and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but you know, the, the, there is... There is this effect, there is this drift, there is this impact that the world is having on us. And especially our young kids. Especially our young kids. And so we have to be careful because life does not have to be a peak-to-peak experience. You know, it's good for us to calm ourselves sometimes. It's, it's good for us to listen You know, to be still and know, we read in Scripture, as we are being mentored by God's Spirit, to be still and know that I am God as He teaches us. To be still long enough that we can hear the voice of God and be still long enough that it's not always about our screen time, as I look at my screen. But it's not always, you know, we don't need screen time all the time. But we need God time. We need to spend time in front of the Savior and hearing his voice and listening to Jesus. And, and the fact is, ultimately, if you always live a peak-to-peak experience in life, and it's always about, you know, experiencing sensation and pleasure and entertainment and all of that, folks, I promise you, you will come up empty and you will not be satisfied. Because only Jesus satisfies. Life can leave us empty and spiritually deficient. The world bombards us with false values and messages that are fake and artificial and and the promise of happiness that is very temporary. Spiritual renewal comes when we build our purpose and meaning for life in Christ. Which leads me to the last idea. The distorted condition happens. Listen to this. The distorted condition happens when we take our signals from the world. And I want to have the worship team come. Because we're going to sing a song today. That kind of reminds us of the truth that we want to build our faith upon. Again, the distorted condition happens when we take our signals from the world. Our cues from the world. The world can even send messages that sound moral. Even spiritually good. Like the idea of good and evil. And we say that phrase. And if it appears in a movie, we think, oh yeah, that's kind of spiritual. But folks, good and evil is not the base of moral judgment. That is what the world knows. You see, Jesus Christ is the base of moral judgment. Jesus Christ is the reference point 
Jesus Christ is the hope and the answer. He is, he is our life. Jesus is the only one that is worthy. He is worthy of our attention. There is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus in this world. Let me say it like this. Jesus' love transcends anything that the world can offer us. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our focus. Jesus Christ is worthy of our honor. Jesus aligns life and he gives balance to life and he gives hope for life. That is who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is our everlasting hope. We can build a life on Jesus. We can build a life on Christ and and him alone. As we build our life on Christ, God will be glorified and God will be lifted up. Ladies and gentlemen, spiritual renewal and revival does not happen by God coming down. It happens by us going up. Us going up to Jesus and us going up to God and saying, God, we need your presence. We need your holiness. Last Sunday I was talking about living a passionate life and and having the passion of Jesus in our heart. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I just had this kind of revelation It's not when, okay, I'm waiting for God to come down. I think God is waiting for us to go up. He's waiting for us to be hungry for Him. He's waiting for us to focus on Him. He's waiting for us to worship Him. Amen. Because Jesus is worthy of our focus. And Jesus is worthy of building our life on. I want us to sing this song and listen to the words as we sing together. In fact, let's stand. And as we sing and we focus on Christ and we build our life upon Christ... Don't let the things of this world and all the persuasions of this world, you know, derail us. Don't let the things of this world and the persuasion of this world to distort our vision as Lot's vision was distorted. And he made decisions based on his eyes, not based on his inner spirit. This morning, we're making decisions based on our inner spirit, based on what Jesus is saying to us. Allow Jesus to restore that passion, to give you that hope to set you free. Amen.